I got to ask you, Mike, uh, cryptocurrency, is it uh, an investment or is it gambling? Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the IFCI. Welcome to our show today, our podcast. That is right. We are IFCI Presents to Protectors. I love that name. With me today is Mark Solomon, our International Vice President. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Mike, I'm doing great and uh, really excited for our next guest. We have uh, Michael Fasanello, who is the Director of Training and Regulatory Affairs for Blockchain Intelligence Group. Blockchain Intelligence Group is one of our partners and was also an exhibitor at our recent international conference. So, Mike, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Firstly, thank you. It's great to be back and uh, especially to talk about such an important topic. So, uh, my background is as a subject matter expert in illicit finance. I, uh, I spent 10 years with the Justice and Treasury Departments. With Justice, I was with the Asset Forfeiture and Money Laundering Section of the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. Uh, it's now better known as MLRs, the Money Laundering and Asset Recovery section of the criminal division. I went on from there to uh, Treasury, uh, where I was with OFAC, the Office of Foreign Assets Control, doing uh, sanctions violations and sanctions uh, interpretation and policy and uh, licensing. Uh, Then from there, I went over to FinCEN, uh, where I gained some experience with the Bank Secrecy Act, anti-money laundering, KYC, CDD, uh, all those great things that we like to talk about in this field. Uh, and then after that, I had a short stint, a couple years, uh, with the uh, the domestic banks in Pennsylvania, First National Bank, and then PNC, where I did uh, transaction monitoring management and, and compliance management. And now I'm with Blockchain Intelligence Group and very happy to be back in the crypto space. Hey, Mike, cryptocurrency was a hot topic at our recent conference in Chicago. I'm trying to get a grasp on it, and a lot of our listeners probably too. Can you give us an overview of what cryptocurrency is? Absolutely. So cryptocurrency is essentially a decentralized form of finance. And what I mean when I say that is uh, there's no central governor for it. It's not like, uh, you know, we don't have a central bank. Uh, there's not there's not basically a gatekeeper or, or a quasi, you know, a quasi regulator, if you would, at this point in time. Uh, it's basically a, a group of nodes uh, or a group of uh, computer networks, which are all communicating with each other that share the same distributed ledger, uh, which is essentially uh, like a ledger of all the transactions that occur within this ecosystem. Uh, And because the ledger and uh, the transactions are decentralized in such a way, it's very, very difficult uh, to manipulate, to to, uh, create fraud in the ecosystem. Uh, We like to say the blockchain never forgets. Uh, A lot of people like to refer to it as immutable. Uh, It's not 100% immutable, uh, but essentially it's it's so difficult uh, to change the blockchain. Uh, You'd have to do a, a what's called a 51% attack on the nodes, which means more than half of all the nodes out there, you'd have to control them in order to make the changes that you want to happen. Uh, and so uh, when we talk about decentralized finance, uh, it's it's different than mainstream finance uh, in that uh, it's really the users that sort of control the ecosystem as opposed to like the Fed or, or a central bank, something like that. So how is the market for cryptocurrency created and how does the value increase or decrease yeah basically it's just it's just a, as far as the adoption of the users it's it's a it's a trust-based system a lot of people uh, think it's not a trust-based system but there has to be some inherent trust in order for this thing to uh, to really gain legs like it has especially in the last 10 years you know uh, when I was in grad school about 10 12 years ago uh, you know this thing was just coming out there you know the Satoshi white paper had just come out and, and it was really just sort of a, a very small concept that was uh, gaining some traction I mean, 
mean, uh, there was a transaction that's known as the Bitcoin pizza. A guy uh, basically got hungry one night and said, "Hey, I'm going to use a couple of Bitcoin to, uh, to you know, to buy this pizza." And, uh, and no, you know, with the inflation or the uh, with the increase in value over the years of Bitcoin, uh, it's it's laughable because that pizza today is worth some astronomical uh, amount of, uh, of money in, in uh, U.S. dollars. So. Who came up with cryptocurrency? Was it a person, or was it a group? Was it a country? Where did it all start from? Yeah, so there's a there's a fellow or 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 uh, a gal named uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, we don't know if it's an individual or a group of individuals. It's sort of a you know a shadow figure, uh, you know, in the history of uh, of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Uh, the individual released a white paper that was sort of it was the 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 true premise of what this was supposed to be about. And I say you know what it was supposed to be about because I think uh, you know. Satoshi, uh, if if he or she or they, uh, you know, looked at this now, uh, you know, ten years, twelve years later, uh, I'm not sure that it's it's exactly fitting the the picture of what they you know sort of uh, wanted it to be. Uh, and in that sense, it was supposed to give more more freedom to the user. Uh, it was supposed to be, you know, basically free from government, free from law enforcement, and free from you know free from criminals in, in that aspect as well. Uh, and it was just sort of to enable finance, uh, you know, across all levels, all classes, all all countries and borders and everything else. Um, and so the fact that we're you know we're now approaching uh, uh, appropriate regulation of the industry and and you know a little bit more of a centralized nature to what was supposed to be a fully decentralized ecosystem, uh, I think it's it's different from from the initial uh, view. And and could a crypto wallet be hacked? And then also, what happens if you forget your password? Ah, <laughs> two very good questions. I've heard some very so, bad stories. Yes. So, so there have been a number of individuals, uh, probably too many to count, over the years who have uh, misplaced or their you know private key was destroyed. Uh, you know they didn't secure that, and and basically once you lose that private key, uh, that's it. Uh, especially with the immutability of the blockchain, there you know it's really uh, it's like tough luck, <laughs> sadly. Um, as far as hacking, like I was talking earlier about the you know the 51 percent attacks on on the you know the nodes and things. Like that, uh, and it's very, very difficult. You know, can it be done? Sure. Can, are there other experts out there uh, that that do have that capability and do have that sophistication? Yes, there are. Uh, they're 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 very rare. They're very very far and few can can actually achieve that. What about scams where somebody gives up their um, their password or their key to the wallet? Would that give that person access to it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they if if you if you share your private key, uh, you're basically giving the keys keys to the kingdom there. And and once you know once the once the the crypto is out of that wallet and into somebody else's wallet, whew, it's tough. Yeah. So you're saying one two three four is not a bad password <laughs> that <to> have. <laughs> Well, we, you know, when we yeah, we look at it, it's uh, it's it's actually a little more complicated than that to begin with. It's uh, you know, 24, uh, 12 or twenty-four uh, random words. You know, this it's an interesting thing because I, I was just talking with uh, uh, at the conference with some uh, you know some some law enforcement officers. You know, what what do we look for when we when we uh, you know do a breach and, and uh, serve a warrant and you know what what, you, what where would this stuff be? Uh, and you know, there's a number of areas you've got. You know, it, it could be anything from writing on a piece of paper. You know, twelve or twenty-four randomly placed words that would mean nothing to anybody else you might just throw in the trash not thinking it's evidence uh you know but that's that's a seed phrase you know that's that's what enables you to access the private keys uh you know to to manipulate the cryptocurrency and send it to where you want to send it or or do whatever you want to do with it uh you can also you know find apps on phones those are those are known as hot wallets 
so you know you're going to seize the phone anyway as as uh, you know as a method of uh, looking into communications uh, you know into the sus suspect's communications um, you know so on those phone phones you're going to want to look for uh, for these uh, you know crypto exchange apps uh, and then lastly you're going to want to look for uh, basically what we call a cold storage wallet it looks like a flash drive can be a little bit more uh, you know more complex have a little screen on there a little touch screen or some buttons and things like that so it's it's a pretty neat uh, you know thing to explain uh, you know to the novice investigator out there and, and help them out this is the kind of information that we we love to get out there to, to you know bring uh, bring more awareness I know the financial industry over the last number of years has uh, adopted multi-factor authentication even biometrics in order to safeguard these accounts do you know if any cryptocurrency uh, companies are using any of that as a, a safety yeah, measure? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I mean, I've I, in, on, in personal use, uh, I, I've noticed two-factor authentication is an option in a lot of the exchanges. Um, and then uh, there's also a bunch of companies out there that are, uh, you know, there was one at the uh, at the conference, Tr Trustamp. Uh, they do they do biometrics and they basically formulate a QR code. Uh, it's it's not so much for, you know for use in the crypto industry, but it it, it employs uh, blockchain technology to sort of you know get where they want to get it. So that uh, you know you can you can translate that PII in a safe uh, in a trusted manner you know to to financial institutions. I got to ask you, Mike. Uh, cryptocurrency is it uh, an investment or is it gambling? It really depends uh, on the way you look at it and the way you approach it. And I want to you know start out as a disclaimer, saying I'm not a financial advisor. It's not a financial advice, uh, but just from a practical standpoint. Uh, for example, if somebody were to walk up to me and say, Hey, Mike, what do you think about me? Uh, you know, allocating the majority of or all of my portfolio to crypto, I'd, I'd say you know. That's that's not investing. That's gambling. Uh, the the volatility in the market is is just uh, it, it's too hot right now. Uh, there's a lot of fluctuation. You know, you get one tweet from from somebody who's popular and you know in the in uh, you know celebrities or something like that or in a corporation, and it can it can tank the value or raise the value. You know, above 10%, below 10%. Uh, that's that's just way too risky, I think, to be considered an investment. And you know, I hear sometimes this this false information that everybody says cryptocurrency is just a criminal form of currency. Is that true, or is it legitimate? No, I think it gets a real bad rap. First of all, it's it is a it, it's currently legal. It is not illegal in the United States. Uh, we 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 don't have uh, formal direct regulation uh, of cryptocurrency. We have uh, indirect regulation through uh, through things like FinCEN's uh, money transmitter uh, regulations and money services business. So. Uh, uh, there is some some derivative regulation right now, but uh, it is not a uh, illegal uh, form of uh, payment or transfer of value at this point in time. I heard you say something though that it's very difficult to commit fraud with cryptocurrencies, but can you still commit fraud? Oh, sure. It's possible. As with any any form of payment, you can definitely you know commit fraud. It's it's more difficult with the blockchain technology because of the immutable ledger. So as long as things are happening on one of those ledgers, especially with you know compliant exchanges and things like that that are collecting information on their users and collecting information on the transactions, you've got a better shot than not of of preventing fraud in those ecosystems. Hey Mike, what type of fraud would cryptocurrency come into play? Like, what type of scams or schemes would that be used for? I'm hearing a, a lot of things, especially at the, the conference back in Chicago. I heard a lot about uh, initial coin offerings or these investment scams uh, where people will reach out to people that, uh, you know, they've heard of crypto, they know it's hot, but they don't know uh, anything about how it works. Uh, you know, they'll get an email or a text or, or some sort of communication saying, hey, if you give me X amount of dollars, you know, send it to this address or, or do this with it, put it in 
this account, you know, it's going to gain 400% in a month or something like that. And, uh, and sadly, there's people out there that actually, you know, you know fall for that. Uh, and it can be very difficult to trace that back, uh, you know, to where, it, uh, to where it ended up and get that, uh, you know, that money back to the victim. You mentioned traceable. Is there a way to trace cryptocurrency transactions? Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned it. In fact, that's that's part of where we come in, Blockchain Intelligence Group. So uh, Blockchain Intelligence Group is a uh, basically a vendor, a service provider. Uh, we have training services, uh, crypto, our certified cryptocurrency investigator course, which teaches uh, you from basically all the way from A to Z, uh, from not knowing much about crypto to basically an advanced uh, beginner type investigator uh, course. Uh, and and then we also have a software called Clue, which is a uh, blockchain analytics or blockchain forensic software, which allows you to uh, basically, we, we like to call it interrogating the blockchain, you interrogate it for information. So the information is all out there. And our software pulls it from that and is able to uh, cluster transactions, show you the flow of funds from whence they came and from where they went to. Uh, and you're able to sort of map things out. And, and when you're dealing with one of these fraud situations, you can see uh, some very interesting patterns developing, especially if you sort of zoom out and see, uh, you know, the larger picture. We like to always look at the larger picture. Hey, Mike, is the cryptocurrency the future of financing and is, is it here to stay? Absolutely. I think it's gained so much traction and it's uh, it's been embraced so much by, you know, now mainstream finance with the uh, with the bigger banks and with corporations and with so many uh, individual users, whether they're investing or, or trading or using it as a form of payment. Uh, it's just gained too much traction, I think, for the Fed to actually stop it uh, or for the government to stop it. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, there, there would have been a point in time where regulation could have squashed this. Um, at this point in time, the only thing that that type of a regulatory approach would do is drive it into the shadows and make it basically a, a, a total shadow form of payment. Um, at, at this point in time, that's, that's really not going to happen. I, I'm, I'm not sensing that on the horizon from a regulatory perspective. I would like to see more collaboration among agencies and, and especially uh, you know, the, the executive uh, uh, branch and the, uh, the congressional, uh, you know, the legislative branch. And, you know, obviously we know cryptocurrency is a legitimate form of, of currency and, and ways of conducting transactions, but it, it also has become very popular to the criminal yes. to use. And why do you think that is? Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's made things quicker, easier. Uh, uh, it's pseudo-anonymous. Uh, it's not totally anonymous, but it's, it's pseudo-anonymous, which is just anonymous enough for, I think, criminals to be comfortable with using it as, you know, the next uh, up-and-coming form of payment. Uh, it's a heck of a lot lighter than cash. It's a heck of a lot quicker in many cases than cash uh, or, or any, even any uh, monetary instruments like checks or, or, or you know, uh, gift cards or things like that. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of an evolving uh, uh, form of payment. And uh, this is really where we're going to start to see uh, the criminals are going to get smarter. Uh, the, the law enforcement investigators are going to get smarter. The vendors like us are going to get smarter. And this is all going to help, you know, the process develop and, and things to uh, roll forth. Yeah, Mike, it's like a learning experience for me. And I always joke around, you know, I still got an A-track player at home, you know, trying to get a grasp on it. But let me just ask you this basic one-on-one, like I don't, I really don't know much about it. Is Bitcoin a part of cryptocurrency? Bitcoin is a is a type of cryptocurrency. You've got things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. 
Uh, and these are all tokens. They're essentially a type of cryptocurrency. It's a type of digital asset. Okay, so at the Chicago conference, there was a couple of presentations on money mules and cryptocurrency because a lot of these people are getting caught up as money mules. They're going to these ATM machines and yes. they're just shoving cash in there and putting it into a Bitcoin wallet. Yes. Do you see a lot of that or you hear about that a lot? I hear I hear a lot about it. I don't deal with it in my specific profession. We provide services that can, that can aid investigators in sort of trying to unravel that. It really depends on what kind of ATM they're using is it is it a uh, ATM that that uh, implements compliance like KYC or not? Uh, if not, it can be more difficult. So I talked to a postal inspector. He said it's so popular here around the Chicago area that there's an ATM Bitcoin machine where there's a chair there where they sit there because they're putting so much cash into the ATM, they got a chair for them. It's amazing because, you know, especially back at the conference, I think, so, you know, some people had some dread with that, but I see it as a great thing because, uh, you know, the more those ATMs that are out there and the more that this thing, uh, you know, gets embraced and gains legs, I mean, it's, uh, I, I like to see this type of innovation succeed. Uh, in order to do that, obviously, you have to have the appropriate, uh, appropriately focused regulation uh, and it has to have enough transparency that, that we can, uh, you know, deter and, and root out the illicit finance uh, while not inhibiting progress. I got a little scenario. I want to see how, how this all works. Uh, how does a blockchain intelligence group help law enforcement? So I'll give you a scenario. We have a 70-year-old lady who falls for a grandparent scam. And instead of sending money in a box, they instruct her to go to an ATM machine, a Bitcoin ATM machine, and deposit $3,000. She eventually realizes it's fraud and calls the police department. And you're the investigator now assigned to trying to track this money, where it went, and who the bad guy is. How do you do it? You know, I, I don't want to overstep my boundaries and, and actually speak as an investigator. What I'll do is I'll speak as, as a service provider to the sure. investigators. Uh, you know, I think they know a lot more about uh, how they run their cases and how they want to work their cases than I do. Uh, what I can offer them is, is services that allow them uh, to basically uh, interrogate, uh, you know, the ATM or, or you know, they subpoena the, uh, the owner of the ATM, see if there's KYC information, see if we can gain uh, access to you know the destination wallet uh, you know where those funds went to and and, and hopefully track that along the uh, the, tri the distributed ledger uh, in a traditional format um, there there's a lot of ways that can go awry uh, you know if the KYC wasn't taken by the ATM uh, if the if the uh, if there was a bunch of chain hops after for example after this uh, this poor lady's money uh, went to the initial address did they hop a bunch of chains or was there a bunch of layering basically everybody knows with money laundering you've got the placement layering and the integration so the more they layer it, the more difficult it gets. Uh, but we have some services that can sort of unravel that uh, depending on the circumstances. So Mike, when we talk about uh, this ledger, is, is that something that you can access on the internet? I mean, where do you go to find the ledger and what information can you get from it? And then is there a benefit, obviously, working with a, a company like Blockchain Intelligence Group to get even further information. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's there are some free uh, blockchain explorers out there. There's one uh, one uh, called Blockchain.com. It's uh, it allows you to access information for uh, for Bitcoin historical prices, most recently mined blocks, uh, the the size of the uh, the mempool, unconfirmed transactions, and data. Um, you know, th those are good, but uh, but they don't give you the uh, the ability to sort of map out and graph and sort of build your own case and and add a lot of different features. You know, we have a, a special one a lot of people like, which is 
uh, like an address watch feature where you can you can input a certain address and, and basically on, a, on an interval basis, a daily basis or, or an interval that you set, it can actually alert you if, if action happens. So you don't have to monitor it yourself manually, it just automatically uh, sort of gives you a ping if there's activity oh, on that's that. That's great. So that's, you know, that's the additional feature that, you know, things like that that you'll get out of, uh, you know, spending a little more money. And you mentioned subpoena or search warrant to get records. That's an interesting topic. You know, uh, I was in law enforcement for 26 years and Mike uh, uh, just around the same time. And and we're so used to, you know, if there is a bank fraud or something going on, you, you get a search warrant or a subpoena for the bank. Where do you send the subpoenas when it comes to cryptocurrency? Yeah, so basically you're going to want to subpoena the, uh, hopefully you have a compliant exchange. If you don't have a compliant exchange, uh, you know, maybe tough luck, even even if they, they were to try to honor it, they may not have the capacity to honor it. Uh, but you're going to want to send those uh, those subpoenas to the exchanges, to the owners of the ATMs, uh, you know, just go, go directly to the source with it. Hey, Mike, back to Blockchain Intelligence Group. Uh, but on your website, and you do a lot of training. In fact, you did a webinar for the IFCI last year. Uh, or maybe it was one of your partners, maybe not you. Yeah, my colleague, Bill Callahan. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. But do you do a lot of training? Do you travel to other IFCI chapters or other organizations where you go out and do training? We do. Uh, I'm only in about three months myself, uh, but so I'm starting to do this, and, and it's it's a great it's a great gig. I really enjoy it, uh, and I want to get the message out there. So, you know, Blockchain Intelligence Group has been around for a couple of years now, more than a couple of years, uh, and uh, and this is you know their their bread and butter. Uh, but it's not it's not just you know it's not just the bottom line to us. We really want to get the the uh, the skills out there and the education out there that can give uh, law enforcement, uh, regulators, and even private industry uh, the tools that they need to do this job and clean up the ecosystem and, and make it what, it what it really should be, which is you know, the next best form of payment uh, you know, for the average user. Well, I could tell you, you know, the services that you're providing right now are so critically needed uh, in the law enforcement community. Like I said, uh, being a police officer myself for many years, there's not many people that know how to conduct an investigation, a cryptocurrency investigation uh, to get information. So we really appreciate what you guys are doing. You're one of our, our partners with the IFCI and uh, hopefully, like I said, more and more of investigators and agents hook up with the blockchain intelligence group and, and get some training. So. Absolutely. Hey Mike, is there a credible source of info for consumers where they can go, some type of authority where they could go to to get information? Absolutely. So there's actually several uh, what I would call credible sources. One of which, of course, is is the IAFCI. You know, we had that we had that conference uh, uh, a little while ago, and it was a, it was a great uh, not only a networking event but uh, a, a information sharing event between you know subject matter experts and also novices. Um, but but you want to avoid uh, you know the the mainstream media. You want want to avoid uh, uh, areas that can sort of twist the narrative. Uh, in one direction or another. So the IAFCI is a great one. Uh, also, service providers like Blockchain Intelligence Group is another great one. And, and of course, your you know podcasts like yourselves, like the the protectors that brings on that brings on experts and um, you know credible sources in and of themselves. These are great ways to uh, sort of filter out you know all the noise and just get down to the facts and, and really understand the space better. So, Mike, if I have cryptocurrency and I wind up falling for a scam and I send this money. Um, elsewhere. What are my chances of getting it back and, and can I get it back? 
Uh, chances all depend on the, the facts of the case. Uh, so like I was saying earlier, if we're talking about, you know, a, a compliant exchange or an ATM that, uh, that you know, pro that implements those KYC services, that's going to give you a much greater chance of being able to trace, you know, trace those funds, uh, you know, from the victim through the perpetrator's, uh, you know, account or, or address, uh, you know, and be able to actually, you know, stop those at some point. You want to stop them maybe at a compliant exchange uh, in order to get those funds back uh, from, from once they came. Uh, you can't reverse the transactions, but what you can do is you can sort of stop them in their tracks. You can freeze them, stop them from going further. And then from there, you know, if the exchange is given uh, sufficient proof that this in fact does not belong to where it is now and it came from somebody else in a fraudulent way, uh, they can assist in getting the funds back to the, uh, you know, the victim. Hey, Mike, let me ask you this. If I go to Vegas, right, I'm at the crap table. Can I make a bet? via cryptocurrency with my computer right at the table there? I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm looking into that as far as uh, I want to actually talk to the casinos and, and I want to sort of, uh, you know, get ahead of that curve because I do see that as, as becoming a form of payment at casinos. A lot of people, you know, they walk in with their cash and they get their chips and that, you know, that's one thing, but then to, to pay for those, those chips, uh, you know, in crypto, it, it's, it's, it's tantamount to what I'm seeing in the, uh, the rare art industry. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many of the, our listeners out there I've seen like uh, the the news media uh, talking about Sotheby's and Christie's and how they're they're auctioning off these these rare forms of art, um, but people are paying for them now in cryptocurrency. And what's interesting about that is you're taking basically two forms of uh, of risky transactions and you're squashing them together like a sandwich. So you've got the rare art, which in and of itself has been you know abused by illicit finance for many years. You're, you're squashing that together with crypto, and it becomes just a uh, you know the perfect storm. Hey, Mike, what if one of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you or they had more questions? Where do you think, can they go to you directly through your email? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, but uh, I'll also uh, I'll give you guys my email. It's michael.fascinello at blockchaingroup.io. The last name there is F is in Foxtrot, Alpha, Sierra, Alpha, November, Echo, Lima, Lima, October. Uh, were you in law enforcement? No, I just deal with you guys on a regular <laughs> basis. So <laughs> you pick things up along the way. You did my, very well. You know, my wife also hates the, uh, you know, the, uh, the military time. I'm always saying, oh, 1300. And she's like, will you stop it? <laughs> just right. Say 1 p.m. Uh, before you go, sure. we'd also love to get the website address. So if our fans or our IFCI members would like to uh, learn more about Blockchain Intelligence Group, uh, can you provide that to us? Absolutely. It's www.blockchaingroup.io. All right. We want to thank Mike Fascinello from Blockchain Intelligence Group for being on our podcast, The Protectors, today. Mike, great job. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. We're signing off. I'm Mark Solomon. I'm Mike Carroll. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.